Hello, and welcome to a new unaired episode of the Young and Not So Dumb podcast. This episode is sponsored by my Psychology 460 class, Child Development, because it's made exclusively as the final project. And in this episode slash final project, uh, we will be talking about something that I view as very important and very good to know, especially as a parent or a sibling or someone with influence over a child you know, and that is developing secure attachments. If you're confused at what kind of attachment I'm talking about, I'm not talking about something that you would think of when using duct tape or some kind of adhesive. Instead, I'm talking about close and enduring emotional bonds to parents or other primary caregivers. Sounds pretty important, right? Well, Chances are, if you've ever taken a psychology class, you would have already heard of two major studies kind of showing how important it is. Um, And then beyond that, after I briefly explain these, then I'll jump into some other reasons why based on way more recent research. But the first... So in Romania um, in the 1960s, uh, there is a major problem that left about uh, 100,000 orphans in 600 state-run orphanages at around uh, 1989. And for these orphans, uh, they had very little interaction, very little stimulation. Uh, they would spend days alone in their cribs without any help or nourishment. Um, many of them were malnourished. And so with this problem, um, what ended up happening was some British families had adopted those Romanian orphans, and then a researcher uh, named Rudder uh, aimed to test what to what extent uh, good care can make up for like poor early experiences in those orphanages or any kind of institutionalized thing without much interaction or care. Um, so what they did was they took 165 Romanian orphans um, who were adopted by British families. And the three different groups uh, were before six months, before two years, and then after two years of age. Then they assessed um, different ages, like four, six, 11, or 15, uh, for physical, social, and cognitive development, seeing uh, if they were normal or below or above, or any kind of data they could get on that. And then they tested that against a control group of 52 British children Uh, who were adopted at about the same time. And unfortunately, what they found um, is when they tested IQ, once those children uh, got to about age 11, was that if they were adopted before six months, uh, their IQ was about average, like 102. Um, And then if they were adopted before two years of age, it dropped down to 86. And if they were adopted after two years of age, their IQ was 77, and that's at age 11. And then, unfortunately, their IQ stayed that roughly the same uh, 15 years later. So they did find something out, and it showed that intellectual development, um, it could be recovered under six months, but either way, uh, 
based on attachment, it does really show how important uh, the interactions with uh, different caring figures are for children. And the other uh, psychological study that you probably uh, briefly or roughly remember, um, if you have ever taken a psychology class or had a friend who was in it who talked about it a lot, um, the next one is with psychologist Harry Harlow. Um, and he had the rhesus monkey experiment. Uh, I'm sure I pronounced that wrong, um, but I, it sounds like rhesus, like rhesus pieces or after lunch, uh, going out to rhesus. Um, but no matter the pronunciation, uh, anyways, Harry Harlow has done some work with rhesus monkeys previously. Um, and he started to notice that even though they were physically healthy uh, in a laboratory setting away from their mothers, uh, they did develop t emotional and behavioral problems, unless if they were given some sort of affection or something soft to cling to. So to kind of aid in his knowledge about that and actually validate it with a study, um, he decided to test whether the pleasure of getting food, getting that kind of physical uh, or nutritional nourishment was more important than the physical comfort of having something soft or something that would feel like a mother holding a baby or a parent holding a child. So he made a very, very loose uh, representation of a mother monkey, uh, made one out of wire uh, just exposed wire, uh, not sharp or harmful, but just not comfortable at all. And then he also covered one with cloth. And he did a couple of variations of uh, which one was able to feed the monkey because it had food accessible to it. Um, but what ended up happening overall is that eventually the monkeys preferred spending time with the cloth mother. Um, which shows that at least in this rhesus monkey that they needed that physical comfort uh, more than they just needed the food. So what's even more interesting beyond that, and that relates to the attachment I'm going to be talking about, is that uh, for the different infant monkeys, uh, when they're put in different situations that they're unfamiliar with, um, without one of those weird mothers he made, uh, they would cower and engage in self-comforting behaviors uh, like thumb-sucking or rocking. Um, however, when they had access to the cloth mother, uh, they would initially hang on to the mother, but then they would eventually uh, explore the room. And then when they felt worried, they would go back to the mother. And then they would go out and explore more of the room and kind of have that safe retreat to something comfortable and do a lot more um, engaging with the environment than the monkeys without something to return to would. And both of those uh, studies were talked about in my textbook uh, for my class Psychology 460 and that is titled How Children Develop. Uh, it's the sixth edition. Um, and that's by Siegler, Safran, uh, Gershoff, and Eisenberg, which sounds like Heisenberg from Breaking Bad. But unfortunately, he didn't write it. Otherwise, this would be a very different book.
meth and kids don't mix, but that is for another topic. <laughs> All right, so we covered those two experiments, um, and not very humane, obviously, with the orphanages. It wasn't purposely set up that they did that to all those kids, but I think it's good that they uh, tested it after. Um, and then with the monkey, long-term disturbment, or <laughs> that's not a word, but uh, long-term just being very, very disturbed, also not good. Um, so what they did to discover different types of attachments in uh, human children is there's a study uh, called the Amesworth uh, Strange Situation. And it was a pretty similar thing to the monkey study, but with um, like humans and caregivers and then uh, just strangers too. And so like that has multiple steps to it. So for the sake of time, I think it would make sense to just kind of skip over it. If you do want to look into it, uh, I would just Google it, and uh, there's a pretty interesting video, so it explains how we came across these. So, uh, four different types of attachment. Uh, so, they are, um, the four different types of attachment are kind of based mainly on that strange situation. Um, so, I'm going to try and describe them in a more general sense, um, because obviously you didn't like look into the strange situation yet um, but basically for a secure attachment with a caregiver um, the child would like understand the caregivers there they would feel uh, secure with the caregiver um, and then if the caregiver left they would be kind of upset and but they when the caregiver came back they would easily be calmed down and just back to normal um, and also similar to the uh, the monkey experiment too, what they would do if like the caregiver was there um, and they would feel comfortable to go and explore the area. And then if they didn't feel good or they just felt like scared by something, they could go back, be comforted by the mother and then quickly go out and explore again. Not in an urgent way, uh, but as like, oh, okay, I feel good now. I feel safe about this situation. I want to go back and see what's up in the area. And the next type of attachment is insecure or avoidant. Uh, so it's a type of insecure attachment that's more avoidant than other things. <laughs> I know that's kind of redundant, but uh, today is kind of redundant. That didn't make sense either. Um, basically, I had too much coffee, and this is what's going on in my mind when I'm trying to say something, more words come out than what I want. Um, but anyways, insecure avoidant attachment. Um, basically, what would happen is like the child is totally ready to get away from the caregiver. They're like, okay, Thank God we're in this new room. I'm going to go check it out. I don't want to be by you as much as I want to go see what's going on in this room. And then, like, if the parent's still there when they're exploring the room, they're just going to, like, either stay away from the parent or just ignore the parent. Um, like, if you get into, or, like, on TV shows, like, if someone gets into an argument with someone, it's usually 
I think I saw it on like the Disney Channel when I was like 10 or whatever. Uh, two like teenagers would just kind of totally avoid each other, pretend they don't exist if they're upset at each other. That's basically what the child's doing with the parent or the caregiver in that situation. And then like if there's a different person in the room that the child hasn't met before, uh, they don't really care too much about either the caregiver or the stranger. And then if they feel uh, like really, really stressed or need help, They'll accept some help from both of them, but kind of warily. And the third style of attachment is insecure resistant. So uh, resistant might seem kind of similar to avoidant, but it's more so resistant about exploring rather than it is avoidant from the caregiver. So um, in this kind of attachment what would happen is like going into a new situation with like the caregiver and the child uh, the child isn't ready to go explore the room they're just kind of worried about the room and they want to stay close to the caregiver and then if they see a different person in the room that they don't recognize they're going to try and stay away from them they don't really trust them um, and then like if they if like the caregiver goes away, they'll be really upset. They'll be like, oh my gosh, I don't feel safe. What's going on? So many baby emotions or um, like young child emotions. I don't know how to handle this. I'm just going to break down. And then uh, when, like if the parent comes back after separation, uh, the child just kind of feels like, okay, why did you leave me? I, I didn't like that. I can't trust you as much anymore. Uh, Obviously, if we don't know if that's what they're thinking, but that's kind of what I imagine based on how they act. Where they just kind of, they kind of reject uh, the parent trying to sue them. They just don't feel good overall. And unlike the secure attachment, they don't get soothed easily by the caregiver. And the fourth style of attachment is something that shouldn't sound very epic or exciting or whatever kind of slight tone of voice that I'm using right now. Um, it's actually kind of sad. So it is the disorganized or disoriented uh, style of attachment. So basically, uh, this is where, like, if a caregiver and a child went in a room and the child was like in the room, just kind of exploring or doing whatever, playing with blocks or something, uh, then the, and the child like kind of felt upset. Uh, they would see the parent, but they wouldn't be so sure if like that's a safe spot to go. Um, they'd be like, oh, uh, is it okay if I go to the parent or the caregiver for help? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, maybe, maybe it would work. And then they, like, go there reluctantly. Um, so they kind of display that by either uh, looking away from the parent um, and, like, approaching them or... Maybe when they see the parent or the caregiver, they're just scared. They're not really sure, like, oh, no, I don't want to go. <laughs> I don't want to go by this person. Uh, they've uh, Maybe they've done bad things to me. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of worried about them. 
And then if they uh, just are like overwhelmed, uh, they might freeze or like, like, you know, uh, in different videos, like when someone sees something shocking, like sometimes their face just like gets frozen in the same expression. It's kind of like that, like a child or a baby could do that uh, when they're feeling stressed. And they might stop kind of, or they might stop doing what they're doing and just kind of have that, that moment of not moving. Uh, like if you, if like a deer senses that a predator is around, they're just going to try and hide and they'll hide by doing that. Um, so that's not good. Uh, that kind of shows that the parent or the caregiver might be harsh or abusive or uh, just or something else is wrong uh, it's sad to think about but that is the fourth type and so uh, just based on like those generalized interpretations of uh, behaviors for children with those different styles of attachment um, it is kind of clear to understand that secure attachment is the best even just by the label of it it's like hmm Secure versus insecure or disoriented. Probably secure is better. Um, so secure attachment, uh, very important. Uh, one thing that it does mention in my textbook is that uh, secure attachment kind of shows that the parent or caregiver is responsive and sensitive to the child's signals. Uh, they're affectionate and expressive. Um, and they initiate frequent close contact with the child. So that's a lot of good information. Uh, baseline to help build some secure attachment is basically just, you know, take care of take care of your kid. Do what it needs. And like when your kid's playing, go up and play with it. <laughs> so uh, that's good. But now we're going to dive in to some other interesting things related to this. So I have a deep question to ask you. Do you ever feel anxious? Do you ever feel like you over worry about different things? Well, blame your parents. Just kidding. Uh, that, <laughs> that sounds like a terrible idea, and I'm sure it actually wouldn't help solve the problem. It would probably make things worse. Um, but something interesting uh, that I found out uh, based on an article which I have cited in APA format in the description um, is basically uh, talking about a relationship between anxiety and an insecure form of attachment. <laughs> okay, just laughing about the uh, blame your parents thing. That would, that sounds, that would be like the worst PSA. Like imagine hearing that on NPR and they're all serious and soft-spoken and then a commercial like that <laughs> pops up. <laughs> okay. Um, Anyways, back to this. So uh, insecure attachment can be <laughs> related to anxiety. Um, and they did figure out that it is a risk factor for anxiety. Uh, they haven't done enough studies to understand if it is a 
like how big of a risk factor it is. They just found a strong correlation to it. Um, but also, uh, obviously, like the disorganized, disoriented attachment style would relate to anxiety too. Um, and I felt like that's kind of obvious considering like, oh, if insecure is like bad and in the middle, then like the one that does the most harm would probably relate to it too. But yeah, that happens. So um, there are some theories on why this might be um, in this uh, re or in this article. It says that attachment may be associated with anxiety in part because insecurely attached children are less likely to develop competent emotion regulation, social interaction skills, which in turn places them at risk for experiences that contribute to the development of anxiety. So that is from um, Is Insecure Parent-Child Attachment a Risk Factor for the Development of Anxiety in Childhood or Adolescence? Um, and that is by uh, Kearns and Frumariu. Um, I don't know how to pronounce that, but if you see something that looks like that in the citation, uh, that is exactly it. So besides uh, insecure and disoriented attachment styles uh, being strongly correlated with anxiety, um, there's another problem with them. So like if you're, if you know a child or you have a child who kind of displays uh, anything but a secure attachment style uh, to you or the parent, um, try and like help with that as soon as you can because um, some sombering news in this article is says that if children reach adolescence without achieving stable parental attachment, the professional task, um, meaning like for a counselor, a social worker, a doctor, a therapist, uh, something like that, uh, becomes one of damage limitation, which is basically aiming to give like as safe as a possible transition to independence and uh, stop like or do whatever they can to help uh, them and the next or like their children not develop those insecure or uh, disoriented attachment styles either by uh, things that we'll talk about in a little bit. However, to lighten that up a bit, the good news is it can be helped. Um, like sometimes it might take a long time to kind of help someone get out of whatever style of attachment that they grew up with. Um, but it is possible and it happens uh, for a lot of people. Um, so that's some good news to think about. And uh, that information was taken from uh, the article titled uh, Childhood Attachment, um, which is by Rees um, in 2007, and uh, that is in the citation as well. Wow. Like, yeah, uh, so just reading this, like, I, I knew it was kind of sad, but, like, talking about it, wow. 
this sucks. Um, yeah, so moving on to another negative thing about children uh, having anything but a secure attachment style with their primary caregivers is that um, unfortunately um, a lot of these attachment styles continue into adulthood uh, however like being an adult having more exper experience with uh, different social situations and things like that um, the people who are uh, on like a deep end of either like a avoidant attack or an insecure avoidant attachment or an insecure resistant attachment, uh, which resistant you can kind of associate with uh, like just more anxiety in general because they're worried about going to like going and exploring things. They just want that secure base of like the mother, the primary caregiver, and then avoidant with like, oh, I'm just going to try and avoid people um, in general. I don't trust them as much. But with those, those same kind of patterns, they continue into adulthood. Uh, it comes from stress and a bunch of things uh, that I talked about earlier. But from a normative perspective, uh, the three types of negative events that typically activate like your style of attachment are one, like just general negative external events like a dangerous or threatening situation like someone's going to try and fight you you're getting chased by a rabid dog you're uh you might get in a car crash uh just basically anything dangerous or threatening like how do you cope with that um in terms of your attachment style um, the second one is negative relational events like if you're having a relationship conflict, whether with your friends, your family, or like a significant other, uh, if they're like if they separated, like let's say you just went through a breakup, or uh, you just like had an argument where you took a break from each other for a while, um, or abandonment, like that that's pretty severe. But like if you get disowned by your family or something. And the third thing is just general um, stressors, like cognitive or emotional stress. Uh, like if you're ruminating about negative events, um, something bad or something happened that reminded you of something bad that happened like years ago and you keep thinking about it. Uh, or even if you're just anxious about like a test or anxious about um, getting a job interview and you just keep having like the same thoughts over and over again. Um, like that's going to elicit similar responses to the attachment style that you've had with your primary caregivers. So for uh, highly secure individuals, uh, when they go through those uh, difficult things that I just listed off, um, they typically recognize that they're upset and that they'll need assistance from one of those attachment figures, which uh, in adulthood, that's most likely a partner or a significant other or some kind of close friend 
or maybe your parents, um, like depending on how severe the stressor is. But also given their positive working models, uh, they should be motivated to manage their distress by just drawing closer to those people physically and emotionally and increase like the intimacy with them. So this is a good use of problem-focused coping strategy, which uh, allows them to resolve most of their problems uh, pretty constructively with that secure base and be able to get comforted and then think through them and figure it out rather than resisting what's going on and uh, trying to cope with it some other way without actually working on the problem or uh, just trying to avoid people like, oh, I don't need anyone's help. I can do this myself. And then it's just much harder than it needs to be to solve the problem or uh, just some other kind of very stressed out response because they are afraid of the people who they're close with. And all that information was derived from uh, the article, Adult Attachment, Stress, and Romantic Relationships. Um, and that is by Simpson and Stephen and Rolls. Uh, you can obviously find that in the description. Now we move on to the actionable steps. What can you do to help either your child or uh, your sibling or someone young who you want to develop secure attachments? So the first one, um, and then all of this is taken from a different article, uh, which is titled Evidence-Based Parenting Interventions to Promote Secure Attachments, um, which are findings from a systematic review and a meta-analysis. And uh, that you can find on the citations. Uh, it's the fourth one by Wright and Eddington in 2016. So this first one has been studied on babies under 12 months and has actually been proved to be pretty, pretty useful compared to the control group. And that is infant carrying. So basically uh, what you can do for this is just use a soft baby carrier daily uh, by increasing the amount of physical contact between the baby and the mother. Um, so this just gives more of that comfort, like in that uh, Reese's monkey study, um, pretty much every day. So you, the baby starts to understand that, oh, the mother is a secure base that I am comfortable with and that I can go to if needed once I can actually move and go out and do things. <laughs> So this was found to be extremely helpful uh, since in the control group that they had, meaning they didn't have this intervention where uh, the mothers carried around the babies for a bit every day in a soft carrier, um, only about 38% of those babies were secure or had that secure attachment um, in the Ainsworth strain situation procedure at 13 months of age. 
Um, however, when they did the carrying, that number jumped up to 83% of the babies. That is insane. So definitely, this is a good idea. And then beyond uh, 12 months of age, uh, the other things that you can do that are talked about in this article are basically trying to improve the uh, sensitivity of the mother or parents to understanding like when the child has emotional or uh, different kinds of needs. And uh, one of the main groups that was targeted in uh, studying this were like were families with depressed mothers because when someone's depressed, it's a lot harder to fully understand uh, like the expressions of other people and sadly it still is like that between a mother and a child so what they did for that was they did some uh, toddler parent uh, psychotherapy where they did between like 30 to 75 sessions and that did help so that was good um, so if that is an option if you're uh, struggling with that and you're seeing some kind of uh, insecure attachment with the child therapy is going to help uh, both of you and that should be good and then yeah so basically uh, with this it also talks about a different uh, circumstance that isn't likely for most people but the general gist of both of them is just try and make sure that you can understand when your child has some emotional needs or some or like something's off with them and you want to help out don't be overbearing but if you notice like some distress just make sure you're available to be there if they get stressed out and a big reason why I kept pausing uh, over the last few times of talking about uh, what you can do is because I don't feel like I'm in a good position to talk about this since I haven't been a parent. Um, I have a lot of siblings. Um, I I just have a, or I just got a new baby sister recently, um, only a few days ago, so that's kind of crazy. But I have a lot of siblings. Um, I have cousins, but... I don't have a child of my own, so you can take my advice with a grain of salt. And if you are more interested in it, uh, feel free to read the studies that I have uh, cited in the description. Um, because, like, I feel like that would be a better authority on parenting advice than I am from my inexperience myself. Um, however, the episode talked about stuff from the studies, so feel free to use that or integrate that with your own understanding to see if that can help. So with this, remember that a secure attachment style is a good thing for children. Uh, do whatever you can to help them develop that. If you're a primary caregiver or someone with a lot of interaction with a child that you know, and if not, it's not the best, but it's not the end of the world. Um, and 
adults are pretty capable in general of overcoming that obstacle, but it would be a lot more helpful to just not have that obstacle in the first place. And that is the end of this episode of the Young and Not So Dumb podcast. Um, the next episode will be out in probably a few weeks on a very different topic. So feel free to look out for that. I hope this helped and have an excellent day.